Hi, this is Malia J, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee Podcast with your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchhart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Chris Castle and Hypebot, a better way to value streams on Spotify. From Billboard, don't expect radio to start paying artists anytime soon. From Music Business Worldwide, United Masters is now offering $1 million advances to indie artists plus real-time streaming royalty payouts. From Billboard, how risky are concerts? We asked an infectious disease expert. And for music tech, Spotify Hi-Fi, release dates, formats, compatibility, specs, and everything we know so far. It's episode 54. This is the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your Morning Coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, good morning, Jay. Good How's morning. As I see you in my iPad Pro on my desk, I we, can see we do you every here doing a little morning. FaceTime. It makes it easier when you can see somebody, even though it's an audio-only show. Um, it makes it easy so we can see each other, and you know, it's more like a conversation. But it's not quite as good as being in the same room. No, no yeah, it's not. and and that's even better. Um, but you know, it is what it is, and this is the way we do things, and it's it's so fun. I I literally, and we've we kind of talked about this before we got on. It's like I wish we could do this more. It's, yeah, it's I do so too. fun, and maybe we someday we can. We'll do like a and daily. It's, yeah, yeah, but we're starting at 10 a.m. and but we actually got on at 9:30. We were just yapping <laughs> yeah. before we even before we even hit record. And that could we, go on for another couple hours. Yes, it could, and it has. And it has, indeed. This happens to be, by the way, episode number 54. We are thankful that you are all here with us today. And by yes. the way, what we could not do this show literally without the, the help from our sponsors. And we are so, yeah. so lucky to have so many great sponsors, sure including TiVo Music Metadata, sponsored, by the way, by TiVo Music Metadata, dedicated to bringing order to the chaos of digital music. TV, t- TV, TiVo <laughs> Music Metadata offers obsessively deduplicated artists album and song IDs, expert written editorial content and ratings, verified images, weighted deep descriptors, similar artists, band members, and influences, authoritative credits, personalization, discovery and search APIs, Mm. purpose-built solutions for classical music, and a global connected car platform linking broadcast radio with streaming. To learn more, hey, go to www.tivo.com slash music. And this is the most important thing when it comes to digital music it's like knowing what the hell you're yes. listening to and who's on it and yes. who did what and yeah, you know definitely not- go check out uh, tivo.com slash music oh yeah so your morning coffee podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle built by musicians for musicians Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music all the features you need for a professional website are already built in Hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to help you sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your morning... 
Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code Morning Coffee, all one word, Morning Coffee, and you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code Morning Coffee. And we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It's edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. And speaking of Bands in Town, over 55 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. The number one artist services platform connecting over 530,000 artists with their super fans, managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yes, big thanks to TiVo Music Metadata, to our good friends at Banzoogle, Hypebot, yes. Bands in Town. Man, oh, man, oh, man, it. we totally appreciate it. Yeah. And by the way, the guy that I get to chat with every Who, Sunday morning, whether he is showered and shaved or not, <laughs> or applied deodorant, because I can't tell, uh, it's Jay Gilbert. <laughs> He's the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, which you better know by now is weekly music news for the new music business. And he's a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music. Music, Warner Music, and Fox Home Entertainment. And my uh, my uh, friend here, Mike, is a longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music, where we first met uh, many, many moons ago. Many moons ago. And Jay, I gotta say, you know, your your company, Label Logic, it's you guys are kind of. Uh, can I say you guys are on fire at the moment? Well, thank you very much for the kind words. You know, the harder we work, the luckier we get. Oh, oh, we, but let me write that down. Say that one more time. <laughs> I attribute that to my grandfather. Um, we, we've had some really uh, great uh, artists, managers, clients, music. And just in the last you know few weeks, uh, I think I told you about uh, Malia J., Yes, um, Malia has the song, her cover version of "Smells Like Teen Spirit" in the uh, the new Black Widow movie, and of course, it's in the opening credits. It's in this perfect place, and it's the perfect song for it. And last time I checked, we had something like eight hundred thousand Shazams, you know, for that God. one song. So, congratulations to uh, Malia J. And there's more music coming. We made a big announcement. Um, what's today? Sunday, uh, Friday. When I say we, I mean our artist uh, made an announcement, and that's uh, actor Ben Barnes. Um, ben Barnes, you may know from Shadow and Bone and Narnia uh -huh. and Punisher, and I mean he's he's a very popular. Uh, actor, but most people didn't know that he's an amazing uh, singer-songwriter. And so I've had the pleasure to uh, work with Ben, and he made the announcement on Friday via his socials that he's got music coming, and I'll just leave it at that. There's a teaser video out, which I'm having a lot of fun watching the numbers uh, you know, crank up on that. And then yeah. just really quickly, if you love uh, jazz or just great music, um, we have new music out by Matthew Whitaker. He's been on 60 Minutes like three times in the last year. I mean, he's this blind pianist, and his blindness doesn't define him. He's just one of those guys that's just really, really good at playing piano. And it's it's wonderful stuff, so check out Matthew Whitaker. The album's called uh, Connections. And then just honorable mention, uh, The Accidentals, which is you know my favorite band on the planet. They have new music out and new music coming. And this newcomer named Elisa Amador, and it is, it's phenomenal. Um, and it's just kind of weird how we met. You know, I had worked with her parents, who actually are musicians, uh, songwriters, and they they do also like voiceovers and things like that um, mm -hmm. without accent, like perfect, you know, voiceover work in multiple languages. And Elisa holy cow, she's she's put out music. To me, it reminds me of just beautiful early Bonnie Raitt. She's just got this stunning voice. So anyway, didn't want to make a this a commercial, stuff. but uh, please, yeah, there's there's always good music down the pipe. And thanks for uh, for uh, mentioning that. I, I'm just thrilled to be, you know, working with these great artists. 
Well, yeah, it's uh, you guys are having a run, which is fantastic. Well yeah. deserved, by the way. Hey, and then of course we got to talk about you know when we're <laughs> well. This is sort of this is related to documentary, but this is kind of a documentary esque. You turned me on to uh, the the short series that's on Apple TV Plus, oh, with, yeah. which with Mark Ronson, producer Mark Ronson, and artist Mark Ronson, called "Watch the Sound." Mm-hmm. And um, I I had noticed it, but I, I I completely forgot about it. And then you told me about. it. I'm like, oh yeah, I did. Where did I see that? And because yeah. I don't often go to Apple TV Plus. Some I mean, I'm not there always. And right. so uh, it's six parts. Um, I would love to get your thoughts on those six parts. But before we do, just really quickly, I want for those who don't know who Mark Ronson is, I just want to rattle off uh, a few of his accomplishments, <laughs> and then then I'd love to hear what you think. Which of are this. many. Yeah, yes. you know. So he's he's this British American you know uh, record producer um executive songwriter he's best known for his collaborations with like amy winehouse adele lady gaga robbie williams miley cyrus queens of the stone age bruno mars anybody we've heard of you know he's received seven grammy awards including producer of the year for you know amy winehouse's album uh back to black and two for record of the year singles rehab and uptown funk um, he's received an Academy Award, a Golden Globe Award, you know, and that was for co-writing the song "Shallow." Remember from uh, Lady Gaga mm-hmm. and Bradley Cooper in yeah. "A Star Is Born." So, I mean, the list is long, um, but I, like you said, there's six series in. It's called "Watch the Sound" with Mick Ronson, or I'm sorry, there. See what I just did, Mick Ronson, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark Ronson <laughs> on Apple TV Plus. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. W- what did you think? Oh, fantastic. Now, now this is kind of, you know, under the heading sort of of inside baseball. Um, but he kind of covers a, a, a different thing. So, so the, the different episodes, one is auto tune, one is sampling, one is reverb, synthesizers, drum machines, and distortion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think one of my, when I look back to, um, to my time in in the recorded music industry, I was always shocked that there are very few people within the business that really know how music is made. And um, <laughs> it's super important to know how music is made because the only tangible assets that a company has really are the, are the physical masters, the music masters, and of course the artwork, which... Yeah, well, we can we can have someday yeah, we'll have fun stories about worms, yeah, yeah exactly, uh, and those assets are are often mishandled and um, so it's interesting. So this is this is kind of again about really how music is made and certain really kind of micro things. But of course, when you the first one auto tune is very much a um, everybody kind of says they hate it, <laughs> but it's there. And he talks a lot about how it kind of started and yeah. a fascinating story of how it started with a guy that actually was a, uh, figured out some sort of a system for oil, for, for how to find oil deposits in the ocean, believe it or not. Yeah. And that's kind of how he, he how auto, he was a musician, by the way, <laughs> in his spare time. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's great stories. And he gets people on the show that, that were uh, like on the drum machine episode. Mm-hmm. If, if you know anything about drum machines, one of the first one was something called a Lin drum, L-I-N-N. It was created by a guy named Roger Lin. And uh, he's got Roger on the show, on this on the series, being interviewed. Yeah. And it's really well done. Oh, my goodness. And so, I, you know, and they're not very long. I think they're only about 40 minutes each. I learned so much from these things. Uh, the distortion one was uh, mm. mind blowing because you didn't mm-hmm. you don't think about just the distortion part of it because you're so busy listening to the vocals or the beat or whatever. And with that auto tune stuff, yeah, I knew about the whole T Pain thing, and Share of course made it course. Uh, ubiquitous. But that's when you just overdrive the heck out of it. There are also a lot of people who are using it more nuanced and more subtle. Um, but what I, what blows me away is I'm a big collector of like stems and, you know, um, for those that don't know, yeah, like maybe just the drum track for nights on Broadway by the beat or Bee Gees, you know, or whatever it is. I love listening to those kind of recordings and seeing how the sausage is made a little bit. And when you listen to bands like Fleetwood Mac and you listen to the, just their vocals kind of pulled out, um, there's no auto tune there. Um, Mm -mm. and they are flawless, but I shouldn't say flawless because there are slight flaws and that's what makes them beautiful. And they talked about that in this documentary that you, you don't want it to be perfect, perfect, because that's not, 
you lose the personality. You lose, you know what I mean? So um, I thought it was really interesting. I I highly recommend this this documentary series. Um, I binged it. I didn't, I wasn't planning to. I stayed up way too late. I just got going and I couldn't stop. (laughs) I did too. I did too. And of course on Apple Plus, it was Apple TV. Was it Apple TV Plus? Apple TV Plus. Um, so many. That's also where we saw 1971, the documentary, the, oh. the year music changed everything, yeah. which is a fantastic uh, thing as well. So it looks like, and and I think also I noticed on Apple TV Plus that they also have the collection of. There's a great series out of the UK called um, Cla- the Classic Album Series. It's been going for more than 20 years. And oh, is that on Apple TV Plus? It's on Apple TV Plus as well. I'll have to check that yeah. out. Yeah, they, by, by year that they came out. And those are wonderful. Again, kind of like they they, they take a, a classic album, obviously, and they break it down, how it was made and all the different parts and the kind of the stories about it. And those are really, really well done. So nice. That's kind of the happen place to be. So anyway, so Jay, let's, uh, let's get put on our... Uh, Oh, our boots and get to work here and talk yeah. about the first one now from <laughs> from Chris Castle and Hypebot. Uh, the first story we can talk about is a better way to value streams on Spotify. And um, would you yeah. say that there it, this is slightly tongue in cheek? Um, well, all of Chris's writing now, you know, Chris. For those who don't know, you know, he's an artist advocate. He's an attorney, super smart guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I really dig him. You know, he did the intro to our uh, our podcast before, and and I've had him on the Music Biz Weekly podcast with Mike Brandvold. Really great guy. Um, he's doing some amazing work, and this particular piece is in uh, Hypebot, um, but they link to uh, oh my gosh, this this paper that he wrote. Um, with uh, Professor Claudio, I'm going to butcher this. It looks like uh, Fiju. Sorry, with that. sorry, yeah, Claudio. Um, my bad. <laughs> and it's called "Study on the Artist in Digital Music Marketplace: Economic and Legal Considerations." And that's this lofty title, but they basically dig really deep into you know how streaming. You know what are the economics of streaming and how artist royalties are calculated and all the different scenarios and models. And you and I always talk about the pro rata uh, model versus, you know, user centric and they dig into that. And I, this article is, you know, it's typical Chris Castle. It's a a little (laughs) sassy. (laughs) It is sassy. But speaking of links, there's also, um, there's another link that's in this article. It's he he says in this as he's writing. Says, According to the last tricordist streaming price bible, and then he tells about Spotify's yeah. per stream rate. Click on that link to the tricordist streaming price bible. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. that is fascinating, and it's yeah. got all the numbers of of the. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It's the well, this the one is the 2019-2020 streaming price bible. YouTube is still the number one problem to solve, and they go into mm-hmm. all kinds of really geeky, interesting stream rates and oh my god it's really cool yeah you can go down that rabbit hole yes the the bottom line is is that we're looking for you know fair remuneration there's that word again you Mm -hmm. know and chris talks about it he's got an idea here Uh, this is one option out of that paper that you if you're really into this stuff you got to grab that paper the the link is in this piece it's in your morning coffee he says this option that he's talking about he says the, the formula is simple divide Spotify's market capitalization by the number of royalty-bearing streams in a month, and you have a rough idea of how much value each stream confers to the monopoly streamer. Ouch. Spotify's recent market cap is at, uh, I think that, is that $41 billion? Yeah. There's so many zeros there, I can't even read it. Yeah, $41,056,000,000. A million here, a million there, pretty soon. (laughs) Give or take an arsenal... In the rounding, uh, a recent number of monthly plays, as reported by the MLC, is about 20, 25 billion. Give so divide market capitalization by number of streams. The result is a dollar sixty-five in market valuation, and that's a per stream. Yeah, per stream. And and he goes on to say, you know, Spotify's per stream was around, uh, you know, thirty-four point eight percent of a penny. Right, so that's for songwriters and even less. And my my daughter um, is uh, majoring in mathematics, and I had to send this to her and ask her: Is this right? Is this like three hundred forty eight thousandth 
of a penny? And she's like, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. So a dollar 65 versus 34.8% of a penny. And then, and I got to read this line from Chris because this is typical of his great writing is, where or where might that delta go? It goes somewhere and it's not to the people who made them rich, not a perfect metric, but you get the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he ends with, you might say, how do they sleep at night? The answer, sleeping very well on much nicer (laughs) sheets than you, thank you. And for one reason, they do not give a flying hoot about your problems because Daniel Eck doesn't think you're working hard enough to make him and all his employees richer. And there's another link uh, to that statement. So funny article, great article, but again, thought provoking and... uh, as you say, uh, he's he's a he's a sassy writer. Yeah, he's, he's like really good. Sassily and really, really take a look guy. at that white paper because you know if you go to the the section that says artist royalties calculation in streaming services, I'm just going to read you a, a small part of it because they the first part they talk about the pro rata model, which is also called big pool. It's also called market centric model. This, the, the study addresses the core royalty accounting models of Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Google Play, YouTube, among others. Of these, Spotify and Apple Music are the two dominant on-demand streaming services from a co- competition point of view. In particular, the study focuses on the royalty rates payable to featured performers and non-featured performers based on the quote-unquote revenue share calculation. These royalty rates are found under the streaming row of each of the signed featured performers' major or indie label chart and the unsigned featured performers' chart explained in the previous section. That's in this report. This is the so-called big pool, pro rata, or market-centric model. And then, of course, they talk about user-centric that you and I talk about all the time. And that is, at its core, if I listen to you know, the accidentals all month and I don't listen to anything else, if I'm paying 10 bucks a month, shouldn't they get my 10 bucks? And mm-hmm. it doesn't really work that way. They go on in this report to talk about if you listen to classical music, you're actually paying more money to pop music to those pop artists in right. these these models. So there's no easy solution. We've covered stories where they say that if you switch from pro rata to user centric, it really wouldn't make that much difference. And then there are other pieces that say it would make a huge difference. So, but at least we're talking about it. And, yeah. you know, we had that UK parliamentary mm-hmm. thing that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. But I highly encourage you. And look, this is a deep dive. This, this white paper I was telling you about for the World Intellectual Property Organization that was written by uh, or co-written by Chris Castle. Um, it, there's a link in the, in the piece. And then that other piece that you mentioned, you know, about that Bible. The, oh, uh, unbelievably. It's the 2019, 2020, uh, what's it called? Streaming. What's on the, it's on the tricordist and it's the 2019, 2020 streaming price Bible. That is fantastic too. Really yeah. interesting. Really interesting. And then even on top of that, you know, and HypePod has so many great articles. They have a really interesting article, Seven Performers Who Created Masterpieces with GarageBand. So when you're on HypeBot reading oh this gosh. article, and jump we're not over to saying that, that because they're a sponsor. We, you know, it's like the hair club thing. You know, I'm not That's only the right. president, I'm, I'm also a client. I love <laughs> HypeBot and I probably go there more than any other site to see what's what's happening. That, oh, yeah. I think uh, Music Business Worldwide is really great. There's so many great places to go. But you can also just uh, you know subscribe to your morning coffee and let me do the work for you. There you go. And that's, that. by the way, just so you know, that's what I do right there. <laughs> uh, Thank you. Yes, it's, it's, my life is much easier because of it. So uh, let's jump over to the next story, Jay. Music Business oh. Worldwide. This one is really, 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 yeah. really interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I, jump in one, I jumped one. I, I skipped one. Let's go backwards for a second because this is also very interesting. This is from Billboard. There we Don't go. expect radio to start paying artists anytime soon. And yeah. we actually kind of need to give a little bit of a history lesson here, right? Yeah. And, and before we do, just really quickly, this is written by uh, my friend Steve Knopper. Steve is a fantastic writer. Um, we've had him on the podcast. If you want to read one of the very best books on the music industry. It's in the history of the music industry. It's called Appetite for Self-Destruction. Yes. And Steve Knopper wrote that book. Um, I rarely read a book twice and I've read that probably four times. And I have the audio book too. So sometimes when I'm on a plane, I'll just, if I don't have anything else to listen to, I'll listen to that. And when did that come out? I mean, I remember when it came out. It mm. was I, I I had it pre-ordered, as I recall. It yeah, was, uh, um, 
It was, I believe, in the early 2000s. I'd have to look mm-hmm. it up. But he did do uh, a second edition, which has a, an extra chapter on streaming. And I believe that's only a digital. I don't think that came out as a physical book. Okay. But yeah, so Steve Steve Knopper wrote this piece. And he, he says that you know, for roughly the last 10 years, every artist who has ever won a Grammy Award and thanks spouses, publicists, record labels, fans, agents, and God, but never any radio stations. Why? Artists are furious that broadcasters haven't paid them for their work in 110 years. Yes. So just to, <laughs> just as a reminder, in case you've forgotten, when you listen to a song on the radio, the artist is not compensated. The, in the songwriter US. In the U.S., that's right. The songwriter is compensated. However, the artist is not. And it's been that way, as he mentioned, for 110 years. And it was a... Uh, you know, some sort of a deal that was worked out early, early on, and I think it was in 1909 or something. And um, it is not that way in most countries, ironically. So this is a uniquely American thing. And uh, yeah, and it's it shouldn't be that way. It right. really shouldn't. But the, the broadcasters, their argument is, and has been for years, that the those kinds of performance royalties would cripple their business. And that's been that and the fact that, you know, um, you know, radio has stations in all of these different markets in all these different states with all these different politicians and kind of the so they've got strength there, you know, lobbying strength. Yes, they do. And. But, you know, I maintain, uh, certainly there are some smaller radio stations that this would be harmful to, but for the big guys, and they're already paying, you know, publishing money, and it hasn't, it somehow hasn't crippled them with that, and I think it is, it, it's just, it just shouldn't be the way well, it like, is. Well, it's challenging now when you've got, you know, they used to say that radio didn't have to pay because it was promotion, but then yes. you've got... Sirius XM, and then you've got Pandora, and now all of a sudden you've got all these different services that are kind of blurring the lines. I mean, what is radio now? And so right. we're having these conversations, and the way that Steve points out here is that it's probably not going to get resolved in the artist's favor, although he does say that this they can't hold out forever. You know, radio ad revenues have been flat for years, so stations don't have much financial clout like they used to, and record labels are, you know, booming financially due to streaming. So while, you know, big broadcasters like iHeartMedia and other big companies are taking advantage of streaming apps and podcasts, smaller groups lack the means to do so. So they're at the risk of losing business. These groups might be willing to make a deal. Right. So there, there's kind of competing bills that are up. There is, there is in May, the, the National Association of Broadcasters, um, uh, so they, they, they have a th- something called the Local Radio Freedom Act, uh, opposing any new performance fee, tax royalty, or other charge. Mm-hmm. Then, to, but the flip side of that, of course, a month later, the record industry announced a, a competing bill, the American Music Fairness Act, uh, requiring stations to compensate all artists for their property. Neither of the so so nothing's going to change. Basically, I think it's the point of the article. But maybe again, as we move forward, this will change. Um, I hope it will because I think it's really, yeah, really, really important to to compensate artists. Um, right. So it we'll kind of ties into the first article we talked about in that there aren't drastic changes happening right now around streaming. There aren't drastic uh, changes happening around radio, but it's heating up. And people are having conversations and they're digging yeah. into it. And that's something that hasn't happened. And like we said in this one, you know, hasn't it maybe happened for over a hundred years. Right. And I think one of the things that, that uh, the music business is looking at is saying, listen, if you're a small radio station under a certain amount of, of money per year that you're making, we'll, 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 we'll adjust those fees. But for these big radio players, again, this is not going to cripple them by any stretch of the imagination. They just don't want to pay it. And so I get it. I don't want to pay for food. I don't want to pay for gas, but you know, you have to. (laughs) So we'll see where it goes. We will keep chatting about it, of course, but it is a uniquely U.S. situation. And it shouldn't have been, you know, the 1909, what was it? The Copyright Freedom Act or, you know, it was, it was, this goes back literally to 1909 to give you an idea, and it, it's even starting in the 30s. People started complaining. Artists started complaining about it, yeah. and um, 
to and be it continued. Hasn't changed, to be sure. continued, exactly. All right, now let's go to the one I was talking about earlier. This is from Music Business Worldwide. This is from Ting, Tim Ingham, who yeah. we talk about a lot. Yeah, uh, United he started Masters. Music Business Worldwide. Oh, that's right. Of course, he did. Yeah. Um, United Masters is now offering one million dollar advances to indie artists plus real time streaming royalty payouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've announced two head turning new finance tools for indie artists thanks to partnerships uh, that the firm has struck with a duo of potentially game changing music tech companies. This was a fascinating article. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I this this kind of blindsided me. I had not even heard about it, even these companies. Yeah. So fascinating. And who are the companies? So the first tool launched in partnership with a company called Beatbread mm-hmm. enables United Masters to offer qualifying artists advances ranging from $1,000 to $1 million. Uh, this Beatbread is headquartered in Utah. Uh, they have a... Uh, they have something called a tech engine called Chord Cash that mm-hmm. evaluates artists' streaming and social data to generate advance uh, advance offers, which, when combined with a streamlined verification and documentation process, leads to advance funding landing in artists' bank accounts within days. Yeah, this is a big deal. But let's back up just a little bit because, you know, their ad, which is in this article, um, says a record label in your pocket. And the United Masters, um, some would, well, they're blurring the line between labels and distribution, right? Yes. And that's something that has been happening over the last few years. It used to be that labels had their roles and distribution had theirs. And one of the things that distribution typically didn't do was, you know, advances. Well, yeah. they're doing that now. They're, in fact, they're doing um, a lot of things that labels uh, traditionally did. So um, I put together uh, kind of a comparison to what labels and distribution, what their roles and responsibilities have typically been. And then we can talk about this article because, you know, especially with Beatbread, they're now offering, you know, up to a million dollars in advances. And that's typically the realm of the label. So people often refer to major labels when they really mean major label groups or major label distributors. So major label groups um, are like, you know, universal, and they also have a major indie with in-grooves, right? Sony and Sony has The Orchard, Warner, and they have ADA. Label examples are more like, you know, Atlantic, Sub Pop, New West, none such. Those are labels. So mm-hmm. labels and distributors are frequently used interchangeably, but they are completely different animals, or at least they have been in, in the past, with very little overlap of roles and responsibilities. So let, let's look at a few of those. Generally speaking, distributors typically do this. Global digital distribution and monetization physical and digital product release coordination, best practices and troubleshooting across DSPs and social platform. And I would argue that that point right there is one of the most valuable parts of distribution. Surface insights and analytics on release performance. All of them have dashboards. Uh, They'll pitch the music to digital service providers for playlists and marketing programs. Um, They'll work with content ID and channel optimization on YouTube. Uh, social media (laughs) verifications they'll help with, rights management, and some of them will even pitch for sync licensing. And then uh, a lot of them now are creating pseudo videos, which we talk about, which is just Mm -hmm. the album art and the audio bed. And they're typically doing that with um, every song that they put out because the number one streaming service isn't Spotify, it's YouTube. I mean, for listening to music. We talk about that a lot. Okay, so that's uh, distribution. Generally speaking... Labels typically handle release strategy and marketing plans, radio, radio promotion, publicity, uh, sync licensing. Um, even though we talked about that a little bit with distribution, they, they have sync licensing groups, but typically the bulk of that work uh, is through the label. Um, imaging, photography, you know, design, that, t- that type of thing. Um, placing advertising, uh, full digital marketing strategy, all online assets, music videos, lyric videos, et cetera, and events, except for in-stores, which um, 
distribution typically uh, handles. So that's kind of how it's been running lately. But some of these companies like United Masters, and look, they're not the only ones. In this article, they talk about you know uh, distribution companies like Symphonic are using some of these um, companies as well, like uh, Beat Bread. And it's really blurring the line between, well, what is a label and what is distribution? If you've got distribution who's now helping to nurture these artists and potentially give them advances, that's really what labels used to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's also a second um, kind of finance-related part, partnership with a, this company that the, the, the United Masters is also engaging with. They're called Paper Chain, and Paper Chain uses algorithms to predict an artist's royalty earnings based on their latest streaming data. It then pays out this money uh, to acts in real time via their digital wallet and card. And as they say, Paper Chain is not itself a bank, but partners with Evolve Bank and Trust and Stripe Payments to provide its services. They're, they're an Australian company, by the way. So, uh, you know, like everything in the new music business, the lines are very blurred. You know, when you go backwards, don't forget, you know, and, and by the way, the other thing that a label typically did was they own the copyright. <laughs> um, you know, own the master. They, or the, on the masters exactly, and so um, and you know distribution evolved. It, it, you know prior to about 1970, uh, labels didn't have anything to. They, they everything was distributed through independent distributors throughout the regional independent distributors, and then that's what what major what major labels became major labels because they started their own distribution groups. I think the first was Columbia, I think, and then Warner. We was slightly after that, all around 1970, I think. Um, and so, you know, this, this continues to evolve. What is, what is a label? What is a distribution? What is a, you know, what is it? It's, it's, it's all kind of mush, Jay. It's, and they're all a little different flavors sometimes. And right. And some of these, some of these things that you're talking about, like paper chain, um, their investors are, you know, Sony Music, uh, mm-hmm. you know, their indie uh, platform, The Orchard, um, in, a, in addition to, you know, Goldman Sachs and, and Live Nation and places like that. So it's really exciting to see this um, happen. Um, but I did want to point out that there were some complaints and we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't cover kind of yeah. both both sides of that. You know, if you look in the comments section, there were two that jumped out at me. One, this guy named Richard Proust said, it, this piece sounds like an advertisement for United Masters. The business model is, has been around for many years. Everybody and their mama is trying to get the content. Okay, I get that. But then... Conversely, you know, uh, this woman named uh, Deborah Cohen had a complaint. She said, you know, I've been with United Masters for a year and their support team has taken several days to respond with artist issues. I've had a problem connecting my artist profile to YouTube for a year and it's still not connected. I applied for an official YouTube channel and never heard anything about it. My SoundCloud connection says that I have zero followers, which is absolutely not true. I can't seem to get anyone to fix it. Now they're sending me notices that my renewal fee is not paid. I sent them a screenshot to prove that the money was taken out of my bank account, you know, et cetera. So the reason I bring that up is this is a common complaint when you have, and I don't want to, you know, just... Um, single out United Masters, but large distribution aggregators who have a lot of indie artists, they're, you know, you talk about things like DistroKid and, and TuneCore and some of these that have so many artists. Do you have enough personnel to actually service them? And, you know, we had read something uh, recently where it was like almost 40% of what's being uploaded every week is going through DistroKid. And that's like, you know, just for our listeners to wrap their head around it, there's like, you know, um, around 500,000 new tracks uploaded every week. That's roughly 70,000 or so a day uh, to the DSPs. That's a lot of volume and it's growing and it's growing. And how can you service all of that. And like I said, you know, one of the key things for me when it comes to, you know, labels versus distribution is having that that person on the other end of the phone that I can call to solve problems. Mm-hmm. You know, like the other day, you know, one of my artists has a name of their band is similar or the same as another one and they were cross-pollinating and you were talking about, you know, that's one of the things that TiVo 
is really good at is mm-hmm. separating that. And, you know, it's problem solving. So when you release new music and it maybe it didn't go up on one of the DSPs or maybe it went up wrong or whatever the problem is, when you have your label manager at a distributor, that is money in the bank. That is, yeah. that's one of the greatest things. And people ask all the time, like, well, why shouldn't I take my money? I'm sorry, my music from you know, the orchard or in grooves or eight. Why shouldn't I take my music from there and put it on one of these kind of DIY channels? And I would say that some of the DIY channels have customer support and some of them really don't have much. And that's right. what Deborah Cohen's complaining about here. And again, it's just, if you've got that much music, you're going to have issues and you're going to need to have the support. That's all I'm saying. Yes, absolutely. Well, and it's, you know, um, I'm working on an Apple product and uh, I've been, we've been Apple fans for a long time and Apple stuff is expensive. Yeah. Um, But you get one of the things, one of the things I really appreciate with Apple products is killer customer support. The best. And it's the best in the business. And, I'm willing to pay more for that. Me too. Uh, I really am. And so a lot of these times, you know, when, whenever you're shopping for any of these services as an artist, you need to kind of consider that is, you know, who is going to service me the best? You know, they all essentially do the same things. Um, but, yeah, you know, you, so you have to kind of consider that whenever you're making these decisions, these business decisions. Yeah. Is, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is somebody, they're going to answer my emails. And, yeah. But this is cool. You know, cool innovations. Um, definitely, uh, check it out. I, I investigated a little bit into, um, United Masters cause I don't have any clients that are, uh, distributed by United Masters and they, they had a couple of different deals that you could choose or, and I would imagine, you know, it would be in, um, in concert with them. Um, but one is kind of a 90, 10 royalty split, versus Mm -hmm. you get a hundred percent of royalties. So, you know, the way that they put it on their site is we believe artists should have options. So stick with our 90, 10 royalty deal for no upfront fee or choose United Masters select and keep a hundred percent of the money you make. So if anybody is, you know, had uh, experiences with United Masters, please reach out to us. I'd love to learn more uh, about them, but this is, this is interesting. The fact that they're really becoming this, you know, new breed of hybrid label slash slash distribution. Yeah. And paper chain and beat bread, uh, two companies to kind of keep, keep an eye on. So yeah. we shall do that. All right, Jay, moving on. Let's, uh, this is also at a billboard. Very interesting. Uh, how risky are concerts? We asked an infectious disease expert. <laughs> they are right to the, right to the heart of the matter. And, uh, yeah. Dr. Amesh, a, uh, Adalja, I think that's his name. I think I he's think at, that's it. I think he's at John. He, well, I know he's at Johns Hopkins uh, University Center for health and for health security, and he's been on CBS this morning and mm-hmm. NPR and the yeah, BBC. And he's he's a big music fan, and so Billboard reached out, and we're talking about you know are concerts safe for vaccinated people or not, and what's going on as everybody's going back, and of course as. You know, if you're if you're watching the news, you know, you know, man, the hospitals are starting to fill up, and the delta vi- the delta variant is mm-hmm. is is really running rampant. And where are we with concerts? And so, yeah, you know, and of course, they just had uh, Lollapalooza. Three hundred eighty-five thousand of your closest friends, Jay. Were, yeah, but were, only two hundred of them got sick out of three hundred eighty-five thousand. To me, right. unless you're one of those two hundred. You know, that's a pretty good number, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And he said, you know, they said, are concerts safer vaccinated people or not? And he said, the data is tough for the average person zooming through Ticketmaster.com to interpret. <laughs> Breakthrough COVID-19 infections for vaccinated people are, are unlikely, but they is. are possible. Serious illness is even more unlikely, but it's still possible. Passing mm-hmm. the virus to an unvaccinated child or an elderly adult or other immune, immunocompromised person is also possible. As always, yeah. the closer you are to other people, the more air you breathe, the more air you breathe, the greater chance of getting COVID. So, you know, are COVID, are, are, but are these concerts worth the risk? And that's really yeah. the question. And some of them are like Lollapalooza was outdoors, right? Yep. They're... Mm-hmm obviously different risks when you're indoors or if the room is smaller. And I had mentioned on the show, I think last week that I was at a video shoot recently and 
one of the people there test pod, tested positive uh, for COVID. And so, you know, I got my test and thankfully I'm, you know, negative and, and that's great. But it was really kind of a wake up call that just like you just mentioned, that even though you're vaccinated, you can still get it. Um, you may not die from it, but you could still get it. Or even worse, you may not know you have it. You may not have symptoms and pass it along to, you know, grandma and or some young child that, that can't be vaccinated. So it's it's an interesting piece. And again, this is, believe it or not, this is the second piece this week written by Steve Knopper yes, <laughs> for, right. uh, for Billboard. And I mean, it's such such an amazing piece. But I was really surprised that there was such a low amount of um, cases from Lollapalooza. And to me, that was encouraging. Um, look, there's a segment of the population that is not, they're not going to get vaccinated and we're not going to get into the politics or all of that. I mean, I just think that we're the only way we're going to get through this is if we all, you know, socially distance, wash our hands, wear the mask, get vaccinated. And there's just some people who are just not going to do that. So knowing that you're going to expose yourself at some point to this, this virus and especially with this variant. And so I think you have to kind of make some of those decisions on your own about risk versus reward. I can tell you that this coming week, I'm going to be doing some traveling um, back East and I'm Mm -hmm. going to see some shows and it's really the first time um, I've seen a live show. I've seen, let's see, just video shoots. I don't think I've seen like a live concert performance in like a year and a half. And so it's, it's outdoors. Um, You know, hopefully it'll go well. But this interview that Steve does, you know, with this doctor basically points out that there is risk still, um, but less than there was. Well, and one of the things that he talks about, which is super important to, to remember, I think he mentions it twice in the article, is he said, we're not going to drive cases to zero. Let's start with that. What's more important is focusing on hospitalization and deaths, not cases. So again, the the there you go. We are learning more and more about the vaccination, but of course, it's super important. And why is it? Because even if you do get it, it's not going to prevent you from. I mean, it will prevent you from getting it most of the time. But there will be people that will get it. But it's going to minimize your uh, the severity of that disease. And what they're really focusing on again is is reducing hospitalizations and deaths. That is one of the most important things. And that kind of gets lost, which is, oh my yeah. God, the vaccination isn't working because somebody got COVID. Well, yeah, mm. they did, but they got it in a much more mild But they're fashion. still here. But they're still here, exactly. And that is why you get vaccinations. Do you, do you know um, what the number is off the top of your hand? What was it? How many people have died from it? Oh, I haven't seen that those, or haven't looked for those numbers lately. I mean, it, um, it in was, the U.S. or worldwide, or it, yeah, it, it's it's still it's this massive number. I don't have it in front of me. I probably should have prepared that. But. Right now, one of the things the article did mention, though, is as they said, not too long from now, concerts will move from outdoors to indoors. How dangerous is that for audiences? He says there are increased risks of transmission when you move things from the outdoors to the indoors because people can't naturally socially distance, ventilation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, people are going to have to learn to make risk calculations. For some people, that risk might be that they don't do indoor concerts. For other people, they go to indoor concerts depending on their individual risk tolerance. The best way to make those venues safe is to have as many people vaccinated yeah. as Amen. possible. Amen. Amen. And I, that. by the way, while you were reading that, um, I looked up the number, um, 211 million, uh, case, 211 million cases worldwide, 4.42 million deaths. Oh wow. my gosh. That's stunning. Wow, 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 Absolutely wow. Yeah. stunning. So interesting piece there. Yeah, check it out, and you know it puts a lot of things in perspective, and and you yeah. know it, it's uh, we'll see where it goes as we move in, into the winter months. Because are, that's, are you ready? Are you ready to go back to see a show if it was maybe outdoors? I am. And uh, I'm going to my first indoor show on September seventh um, or ninth, as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah, I'll be so. seeing a show that week too indoors. So let's we'll we'll regroup and see well, how. It, yeah, let's compare notes. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, our last uh, article we're talking about from Music Tech is uh, talking about Spotify Mm Hi-Fi, which has been um, 
Well, you know, it's been talked about for a long time. Well, uh, and, and this actually leaked. Like, they weren't the first to market, but this, what happened was some of this stuff went up on Reddit, and yes. then all of a sudden it was everywhere. And and I read a few pieces on it, and I really liked Music Tech, uh, which is uh, this really cool website. And, you know, you just mentioned it, their headline, Spotify Hi-Fi, release dates, formats, compatibility, specs, and everything we know so far. So, you know, they, they talk about the fact that, you know, Apple and Tidal and Amazon, you know, they've already, they're already offering this uh, higher quality, what they call lossless audio, which I'm going to ask you about in a second. Um, and they've been talking, as you just mentioned, they've been talking about uh, Spotify doing this since like 2017. But, you know, so here here's what we know so far. And then I would love to get your, your take on, you know, hi-fi versus Spotify premium versus lossless versus this and that. And my head's always spinning with that stuff. And you're the first person I, I usually call because you can, you know, make it so simple that even I can understand it. So so here's the latest news. Spotify's hi-fi, you know, onboarding pages were leaked on Reddit. Mm-hmm. Spotify launched a what's new feature to notify users of new artists and podcast releases in real time. Spotify may be looking at event ticketing, you know, to set itself apart from other streaming competitors. Um, data miners discovered Spotify Hi-Fi interface graphics and settings. You know, one person on Reddit claimed to be able to access Spotify Hi-Fi menu ahead of launch. And then the last thing they found was that, you know, Apple Music announced uh, lossless streaming and Dolby Atmos support at no cost. And you and I have talked about Dolby Atmos. You were kind enough to take me in the studio uh, with Greg Penny to listen to some real uh, Dolby Atmos mixes, which were absolutely stunning. But for our listeners and for me, you know, that don't really understand, like, I, I see HD and Ultra HD and Spotify Hi-Fi and, you know, Spotify Premium, all this stuff. What What is this? What the hell is what it all What is all this, man? <laughs> well, there's so many names out there, too. You know, it, it's, it is really challenging. And, and half the time I have to look it up as well. You know, what is this and, and why should I care? And especially, <laughs> and then you even have something like within Spotify, you've got two different services. You've got Spotify Hi-Fi, you've got Spotify Premium. It's like, People, could we? You know, and that's really part of the problem is consumer confusion. Is it? Is that because some places like Amazon calls it one thing, Cobas yes. calls it one thing, yes. Apple calls it another thing? I mean, if people like us who follow this stuff get confused, you know, what? What's my? Uh, not to pick on my mom, I love my mom, but you know, what's she going to think when she reads something like this? Her head's going to spin right off her shoulders. You know, she's not going to understand this. And, you know, and we've been, you and I have been kind of involved in this going back to our days at Universal when we were kind of working on what was then considered new formats and surround sound. And now we have Atmos and it's, um, and it didn't, it wasn't successful then when it was a physical format, bringing higher resolution audio to consumers. It wasn't successful because there was so much confusion then. Uh, it was sort of, again, competing platforms. And this is a problem in consumer electronics in general. You may, it may require call when when the first video came out the video tapes there was uh vhs and then there was uh beta which was beta beta Betamax was a superior format but it lost it yeah, lost it, the format and it was smaller it was and but sony uh, didn't want to license it or they had uh, terms not, that were not good sounds and like so, the mac operating system back in the day exactly yeah. and so there's a history of all, all these competing formats and 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 consumer confusion and we're, we're doing a terrible job now of it so what is it you know it's basically when, when music is created in the in the recording studio it's done at a much much higher bit rate and much higher quality let's say then you eventually get it as a consumer in a streaming service and yeah. so we're trying to fix that and and i can was, hear the difference you know i was on mm-hmm. a panel one time at ces with don was and some other really smart people and I took a contrary view because I couldn't tell the difference, you know, when I'm listening on the radio, for example, um, or if I'm listening in my with my headphones and I'm exercising or I'm in a car and it's a noisy car or whatever, I couldn't hear the difference. Yeah, now, no, when you go in the studio, yeah, you can hear the difference. And I mean, for streaming, I think you really need to hear the difference. And I've been seeing this on, like you and I talk about Dolby Atmos. I've been listening to these mixes on Apple that are spatial, what they call spatial, which is 
supposed to be like Dolby Atmos. And they sound really good, but not what you and I, what you played mm-hmm. me in the studio with Greg, it doesn't sound like that. Can it you doesn't. can you make that quality that you and I heard in the studio? Can you and you were the one that taught me that like if you're using Bluetooth, you know, forget about it. Like you're gonna lose a lot of the quality just in that gap. By it being transmitted and received. Yeah. It's well, and and the other problem too is that um certain music lends itself to quality and certain music doesn't. And so you, you, uh, music has to have nuances in it and kind yeah. of dynamics for, well, talk for about, to, talk about some examples. Cause you, that's a really good point. Like what would sound good in some of these ultra high quality and which ones aren't going to take advantage of it? Right. Well, let's say you're listening to a slipknot tune, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of a sonic assault and, and you're not going to, you're not going to hear, I mean, you know, the God bless him. Exactly. I'm not, I'm not, criticizing it's just you know it's it's like intense you know just pin in those meters and it's just like wow as opposed to like an al green or a nora jones or i mean name the artist you know it's something where there's dynamics in the music and there's there's subtleties and things like that that's when you really hear the quality difference in music and and again where are you where are you listening to it what are your what is your system and and what are you doing you know we the generation of our children now it, they listen to music much more passively than actively and are they going to tell when you're when you're when you're cleaning your room and listening to music are you going to tell the difference versus when you are sitting down in a chair and listening to music and looking at maybe who who you know who who's on the album we, you know passive versus active listening there's so many different that's what makes it hard you know you yeah. can't just make a blanket statement and say i mean in general the blanket statement is i want to hear it in the best quality possible period yeah that's what i as close to that that version that was made in the studio that's what i want to listen but then to then you got knuckleheads system. like me that if it's a great song on an am scratchy radio i'm i'm fine i'm good Right. And and sometimes that doesn't matter as well. So it's it's really challenging. And then and then when you bring in the immersive formats, and that's being confused as well, Atmos and things like that. And when it's done right, it sounds fantastic. But what are the labels trying to do? They're trying to be cheap about it. They're not wanting to pay uh you know, qualified engineers to go in and and get the the get it going back to the original stems or the multi-tracks and getting those the proper files to make it and to spend time with it. And they're, you know, it's not something you put in a box and it converts it. That That's not how the immersive formats work. So it's really kind of a dog's breakfast out there of just like, <laughs> it's really hard to understand. And, you know, we should almost do like a special you know show I think where we, will. we kind of break I, it down. I just, yeah. I put down some notes. I'll talk to you about it after the show, but I think that will be uh, really helpful for our listeners because a lot of this is just, it's so confusing. But what I do like about it is when you get someone like Amazon, who's basically offering it across the board without any extra fees, then I think when you offer everything at high quality, that's the answer. But if you make people choose between spatial and CD and lossless and this and that, yeah, that's... I don't think that's the right way to go. And I do like these sites. You know, I like Tidal. I like Cobas. You know, I mm-hmm. like Apple's, you know, Mastered for iTunes and, and some of those things. They do sound really good on my my system. I just know I'm not an audiophile, so I don't have the $10,000 turntable and, you know, the tube amp and, and all of those things. But I do like it when I hear it. Well, and we've done a crappy job as an industry of educating consumers on why they would want this terrible job in fact we haven't done a job at all really and so you know but but the bottom line is when when we're talking about spotify hi-fi they are talking about streaming at cd quality audio which is 44.1 kilohertz and 16 bit now that's perfectly good, but that's not what we would call high resolution audio ah. in in general. Well, that's, what, would, you know, what gen- would we call high high res audio? Twenty four bit. So it can be forty four one kilohertz, but it's usually ninety six or one ninety two, and it's usually twenty four bit. So 
Their hi-fi is better than what they had, but it's still getting back to CD quality audio. So generally speaking, we when we talk about what is high resolution, oh it's 24-bit, not 16-bit, right. which well, is what CDs were. So We, we yeah, will dig in. Uh, I, I love that <laughs> People you... People are falling asleep as, as I'm not talk. falling asleep, but I, I think <laughs> no, I need an like, aspirin or something. I mean, it's... Yeah. You know, I can smell bacon from, you know, my I'm thinking too hard about this stuff, so... Um. <laughs> well, we'll try to find... Well, you know, in, over the next couple of weeks, we'll try to, to get some sort yeah. of a, a document where we can post it on, on the, in the notes and, and really To be continued, of, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. on that note, though, Joe, we got to wrap up episode 54, if you can believe that. It's uh, been a pleasure to see you today. Ah, to great seeing you, stuff. too. Great seeing you. Always fun to hear about oh, the Oh, before we go, things. really quick, I almost forgot. Um, my, my good friend Mike Warner has this new book out, oh, and our, yes. our readers can't see it, but you can on the screen. I highly recommend this book. Like We, we talked about you know Steve Knopper's Appetite for Self-Destruction. Uh, I've probably sold 20 copies of that book to, to friends. It's so good. So the, Mike Warner has this book out called Work Hard, Playlist Hard. And I know what you're thinking. It's not about gaming the system and getting on playlists. It's much more than you know playlisting. He goes through you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, you know, SoundCloud. I mean, he goes through everything and really shows you how to optimize. So mm-hmm. if you want a really, really good book, that you can highlight and dog ear the pages and all of that. Uh, check out Work Hard, Playlist Hard by Mike Warner, and it's the second version of the book, the the new one. Um, I, uh, I highly recommend it, and not because I participated in a small way. There are a few chapters where I wrote the intros uh, for Mike, but it's a very, very small little um, collaboration. He did, you know, all of the work on this book and he's done a killer job and I, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Whether you're a music marketing person, whether you're an artist, you gotta, it's stuff you gotta know. So yeah. do check it out and uh, we should maybe put information in the yeah, yeah. link in the show notes. There Absolutely. You go. We will do that. So, uh, and with that, Jay and I thank you all for listening today. We certainly appreciate it. Without you, we could not do this. So a thousand thanks to you and our sponsors. We will see you next week on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.